you do begin to to think, do women even like art? Because the way that they talk about it as, you know, burning down the patriarchy, burning down the past or whatever, it's like, I don't know that that's a useful position to take when you're trying to be a creator, right? Like you can't create from a wholly egotistical place. There's a tradition, there's a history. Not all of it is great, obviously, um, but you can't just just decide, well, I'm, I'm not going to pay, pay attention to the masters because they're complicated. I'm not going to, um, you know, you can't carve that space out of yourself. Like it's in, it's in the history of everything. So to sort of make a pretense of purity and to, to sort of sneer and criticize rather than get involved and participate and, and try to make some contribution, I think it's a pretty shitty way to look at what you have decided to call your life's work. Welcome to the New Flash Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Allpike and joining me once again is Jonathan Astro. John, how's it going? Yeah, good, Ricky. I, I was just trying to think. I got no complaints. Not really. That's good. That's good. So today we're talking about monstrous artists and what we do with their work. I mean, I guess that the ultimate example would be someone like Hitler. He was a bit of an artist, wasn't he? Actually, didn't he go to art school? He did. Or, was it, or wasn't he sort of like a frustrated artist? That Wasn't that one of the things? Like, he was. You know? yeah, he wanted to be a painter, but I, I don't think his paintings were very good. Did, I, I wonder if they exist in a gallery somewhere, like... Surely they're up with a massive disclaimer. The disclaimer is probably bigger than the artwork itself. Well, you know. this was a, actually a big ruse. Uh, it was a trick that you've proved that you want to see Hitler's artwork. <laughs> yes. So, But if there was an exhibition of Hitler's artwork, would you go and see it? What is this, the third degree? <laughs> no, it's the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ricky, let's move on quick. That's very good. Okay, today we are interviewing uh, Jessa Crispin, a return guest. Jessa is fantastic. Uh, love speaking to her. And one of the things that we we come together on is this 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 obsession we have with what to do with with monstrous artists and uh, mostly men. Let's let's be real, and and a few women and their and their art and but also monstrous art. I guess is another another side issue of that. But you know, what do you do when you know Billie Jean comes on at a wedding, yeah. or yeah. you know, I tell you to watch Crimes and Misdemeanors or or whatever, yeah. like yep. you know, yeah, or you feel like revisiting the Cosby Show. I didn't like it even before all the. All the stuff. Well, this is the weird thing. I think the Cosby show sort of passed me by. Like I wasn't quite, I'm not quite old enough to have sort of been, you know, been watching TV at that age to catch it. And then by the time I was watching sitcoms and stuff, it was more like Hanging with Mr. Hanging with Cooper. Mr. Cooper. I knew you, know, you were going to say Hanging with Mr. Fa Cooper. Family Matters, you know. Yes. Yeah. As Norman would say, uh, you're showing everybody how down with the hood you are. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, goodness me. All right, uh, on with the show. Well, we always tell you the truth here at the New Flash Podcast, and the truth is that we need your help. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. We're also on YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment there about a show you liked. Word of mouth is also a very powerful tool, so please tell all of your friends. And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me A Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. And now, let's get on with the show. Return guest Jessica Crispin is the founder and editor of magazines Bookslot.com and Spolia. She's the author of The Dead Ladies Project, The Creative Tarot, and Why I Am Not a Feminist. Her provocative podcast, Public Intellectual, featuring guest interviews with artists and thinkers, ran from 2019 until 2021. Go and check that out. They're all online. She's also penned work for The New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Times, Sun Times, The Guardian, The Spectator World, blah, blah, blah. The, <laughs> and unheard, her substack is called the culture we deserve, and you should all be following and supporting her work there. Jessa, welcome back to the New Flesh. I'm so I'm so happy to be a return guest. I'm excited. Well, Jessa, last time we spoke, I believe you mentioned that you were discovering the sport of soccer, and I can't remember if this was voluntary or not. I think your husband may have had something to do with it. How is your love of the world game going? Uh, I'm not. I'm not watching it. Um, it's at night. It's at night. I am in bed, man. I am not, <laughs> I am not staying up until 1am to watch soccer, unfortunately. Like, uh, you know, I, I am showing my 
flimsy attachment here, but it's, <laughs> it's um, <laughs> if there's if there's any inconvenience or discomfort involved, uh, I'm out immediately. So it's one of those sports. Even here, people who are into that, uh, they've got multiple streaming services. They're up in the middle of the night. It sounds dreadful. Like it sounds, well, it sounds like really bad. That's, that's what my husband is doing while I'm <laughs> sleeping away. It's it's he's having a good time uh, and me as well because I'm I'm very well rested right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a win-win situation then, I guess. Yes. Yes. So we have some interesting ground to cover today, a uh, detailed discussion of problematic artists and their problematic work, about which you've written a superb, a superb piece that everyone uh, can read very soon. So we'll have to talk about the very unproblematic book uh, that you've reviewed, uh, which you've written about, along with some uh, fascinating grabs from your Substack work. But I, I wanted to cover the financial state of the arts to begin with, which you recently penned an article about um, the, the state of the arts and, and the finances around that, theatre, film and publishing. You say that it's uh, the middle tier organisations and works that are suffering most, um, and it's leaving really only the, 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 the micro-level hobbyist and the blockbuster intact. Can you talk more about this? Yeah, so most of the arts in America is, um, and publishing is sort of outside of this at the moment, but if we're talking theater, dance, visual art, et cetera, these are all pretty much run as nonprofits. And these are all primarily grant funded. And as a result of um, inflation and the cost of living crisis um, that has been going on for several years. Everybody is stretched very thin because the grants have not changed their amount in a very long time. Um, and so you get the same amount of money pretty much every single year and every year you're, you can do less and less with it. So what's happening is that it is the mid-tier regional arts programs that are um, unable to compensate for what's been lost. The larger institutions like the Met, um, you know, they have billionaires on call. They're always going to be able to sort of, um, you know, uh, meet whatever gaps. The, the directors of the Met will never take a pay cut. <laughs> if they can help it, but uh, it's everybody else. You know, Tulsa, Oklahoma had to cancel the next season of their opera. It's places like this that are um, that are really struggling. And it's because the whole funding system of arts in America is essentially broken. Um, we rely on these nonprofits, which are, which are incredibly inefficient and also very particular in the kind of art they think is important to fund. And as a result, we have a very sort of bland artistic culture um, in the United States at the moment. How would you characterize their, uh, what they select to fund and the candidates they prefer? Well, for the last 10 years, I would say it's um, the, the idea that art has a social purpose, um, a progressive social purpose has been very dominant. So that's how you get your grant application funded is if you say we're doing diversity outreach, we are um, working with underprivileged demographics where, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or we are presenting material from, um, you know, a rediscovered, underappreciated woman playwright or whatever. Um, and that is essentially how you get funded and anything that falls out that can't be described in that way. And of course, you know, um, the reason why development directors make the big bucks in nonprofits in the United States is because they can make anything sound like social progress. Um, uh, you, you know, you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to get the, the big grants. You're not going to get the Guggenheim. You're not going to get, you know, whatever. So, um, so that's kind of the problem is we have a lot of sort of mushy, wishy-washy, Hamilton-esque um, works in production. And these are blockbusters. They make a ton of money. And so there's also that element of, you know, theater companies that are stretched 
financially are going to go with a formula that works for them. And the formula that works right now is Hamilton. And a lot of things sort of like fall or like, um, you know, a re-diversified casting of an old work. These are things that kind of um, have an automatic hook with the audience, an upper middle class audience that wants to feel like if they're going out for the evening, it's not decadence, it's, you know, they're contributing to something. And that's really who goes to uh, theatrical productions in the United States right now. One of the grotesque workarounds that they've been doing in, in Melbourne, uh, I might as well name and shame that the Malthouse Theatre, which is uh, in a fairly famous uh, theatre, but they do it at, at a few of them. Uh, they they get a sort of a, a beloved highbrow piece of cinema like Solaris or a Bergman uh, film or something like that, and then they just go to town on it. So uh, it, 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 it's a way of, as you say, hooking people in. They've got mm -hmm. a pre-existing work that also comes from, they forget the fact that all of those works were original, that they were dangerous and experimental, and all of that's now gone. And so where they put their effort is they, they like I went to see a, a version of Solaris, which you guessed it, I'm fairly certain that, um, I'm fairly certain that it was it was gender swapped that the lead person was a woman. Mm. Like you know, of course it was. I mean, it was like like th this is where they where they put their time. But is this this kind of workaround you've you've seen uh, popping up? Well, this is the culture of the gimmick, right? And um, you you have to create a sense of urgency um, in particularly because since the pandemic, people just haven't gone back to um, the high arts. Uh, the audience numbers for symphonies are down, opera is down, theater is down, live performance in any sort of, um, you know, above a rock club is really struggling right now to retain an audience. And so if you do a gimmick like, you know, a gender swap or something like that, here in Philadelphia, they did Labo and Backwards and it added nothing. It added absolutely nothing. It was absolute garbage um it totally ruined it totally ruined the opera but it was packed because you know people have seen la boheme if you're gonna see an opera you have seen la boheme right because it's one of you know the top five that even people who aren't that interested in opera they know about it um so in order to create a sense of urgency to buy tickets for another production of la boheme you have to throw in a gimmick which is we're going to do it backwards so I think ultimately the gender swapping, the race blind casting, these kinds of things, this is just part of a larger culture of the gimmick. Um, and these are the things that sort of uh, work at the moment, but are ultimately going to lead to, I think, audience loss because yeah, I saw Lobo and backwards, it sucked. Like, I'm not gonna go back to, you know, if they do Carmen backwards, like I'm not falling for that again. <laughs> well, you mentioned you mentioned audience loss there. Like, do do you think they're they're sort of uh, getting wise to these sorts of gimmicks? Like, like we recently spoke to Heather McDonald, and she mentioned that I, I think it was the uh, entire 2021-2022 Broadway season was populated by shows that were written by people of color. Like, do you think do you think audiences are seeing that and going, well, you know, what's the deal here? Like. You know, isn't it obvious that what, 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 you know, you're trying to push some sort of agenda on me or, or, or yeah, using the gimmicks just to get me in? I don't think it's that. I think because, you know, if you look at um, the Met in New York, their opera season last year, the highest um, attendance rates were for the new operas by, um, previously neglected composers. So they did an opera called, I think it's just called The Boxer um, by a black composer. And it was a sensation, like everyone loved it. And it wasn't just like um, the gimmick of it, although certainly that works in ad campaigns and so on, but actually it turned out to be a really good show. Like they really put a lot of heart into it. And so it's actually, um, the things that kind of aren't working are the trying to dress up the repertoire, like the the old stuff that they're trying to um, redo in a in a gimmicky way or whatever. I think people want to see a good show, um, and I think ultimately, you know, opera companies have, um, especially in the United States, relied 
too, and I think this is, you know, for theater as well and uh, symphonies, they've relied too much on the hits, which is pleasing to an audience that is aging rapidly. And a newer generation um, is interested in different things. And this is the first time that a lot of these companies have had to really pivot um, in a while. And I think they're trying a lot of stupid ideas out until they'll figure something out. Something will work and then they'll be like, okay, like, you know, but a lot of companies aren't going to survive this process of experimentation. People are running out of money, et cetera. So it'll probably be the Met that survives and, you know, Tulsa that gets fucked. Well, do you, th do you think we have a responsibility to, to stay truthful to a, a work of art? And I, I know John mentioned uh, the Malthouse Theatre. Now, I know a couple of years ago they did uh, a, a one-woman play and it was based on the novel Wake and Fright, which is a, like an, a mm. classic Australian novel, which I, I'm not sure if you know about it, but oh, it's yeah, basically yeah. About, about male drinking culture in the outback. And it was a one-woman show and it was such a – yeah, of course it was. But it was such a betrayal of the original work that – you may as well just write a, a new work, you know, D don't, don't do Wake and Fright, do a one woman show that's maybe about drinking culture that, that, that is not Wake and Fright, you know, I mean, do we have mm -hmm. a responsibility to these great works of art? I think that a great work of art can, can survive experimentation, but obviously not every idea. I mean, especially if it's coming from a place of the gimmick or the, oh, I'm going to deconstruct this, or I'm not coming to it from a sincere place, right? Like, um, and, and you can see that kind of thing happening a lot in our culture. Like, I am going to only talk about this in my sarcastic voice. So they, everyone knows that I don't actually approve of Hemingway or whatever. Like, if you come to it with sincerity, you know, you can do a lot. I mean, I remember when I was living in Berlin, the commercial opera was constantly doing like wild, weird shit with 18th century operas. It was just like, yeah, everyone's a woman now. And then <laughs> for whatever reason, everyone's a woman. Someone is on in like in a cod piece and they're humping everybody else and say, like that's, it, it can be if it's taken with a sort of light heart and with sincerity, um, be really rewarding, but we do not have a culture of sincerity, right? We don't have a lot of performers, directors, writers who are coming to um, the history of art from a place of, sin of sincerity. They're coming with it with like, here's my big ego, or, um, you know, I'm going to burn down the patriarchy or whatever, like, you know, but a work of art, you can, you know, tear it apart. You can remix it. You can, um, you know, maybe if somebody actually knew what they were doing, you can run it backwards. Um, but uh, um, because the, the truth of the piece is still going to be there, you know, next year, even if this year the production of it sucks. Well, you, you, you've written in um, this article that we're, we're, we'll get into in a bit more detail shortly. This great quote that I think pertains to this uh, in a way you say, quote, yeah. Our understanding of art has been thoroughly complicated by activism. Close quote. What, what, what are your What are your thoughts here? I mean, this this feeds into this idea of coming to a work with something other than sincerity or authenticity. Right. So the the thing I was writing about was the Hannah Gadsby. Um, it's problematic show at the Brooklyn Museum. I, I don't know if you guys have caught that discourse um, quite as much as the Americans have, but um, essentially the show, the first half of the show is Picasso work with Hannah Gadsby doing the wall text, which are jokes, like a punchline about whatever it is we're seeing on uh, in the Picasso. And uh, they're, they're not good jokes. Um, the point of them is just to sort of um, poke you in the side and get on your nerves. Um, and I think uh, it's childish and I think it's very silly. Um, I think if you spend more than, you know, five minutes in a room of Picassos, <laughs> you can 
move past whatever discomfort, I would hope, move past whatever sort of biographical discomfort you have and start to think about the work itself. Um, I thought it was one of the worst things that I'd ever seen was this show. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was so disrespectful to the women artists who were included around it to be in the same like space as Hannah Gadsby, like making dick jokes. Um, and, and if you're gonna sort of position the work of women artists in a way that takes them seriously, like, and, and treats them as if they were um, artists in their own right and not um, lesser than the male genius, then why are you doing it like this? Like, this is so, this is so degrading. So it was, it was very upsetting. I was very angry. I was texting all my friends <laughs> um, while I was in there. And was, was um, this a popular show? Did people, was this, did people, a lot of people go to this? It's called, it's Pablo Matic, I think. It got, it did, it was very popular. And I think a lot of it was, um, you know, gawking at the, at the big crash. Um, because it got terrible reviews. And so I think then once there was the, once there was a round of awful reviews of saying, this is shit, uh, this is stupid. Why are we still talking about art this way? Um, then people wanted to see <laughs> what all the fuss was about, <laughs> which I understand that because that's, that's why I was there too. Um, but at the same time, like then it lets the Brooklyn museum convince themselves that this is a hit, right? Like once you give a person money for doing something fucking stupid, they're gonna do that stupid thing again and again and again because it makes them money. So I think we're probably in for another 10 years of garbage. <laughs> well, you, you pose a, a, a provocative question in your article, uh, which we have to talk about. And the question is, do women even like art? Yeah. 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 So what, <laughs> what, what have you got to say about this question? Yeah, I mean, it's just something that I keep thinking, um, do women even like art? Because I, I had read um, Monsters by Claire Detterer, and I had read a couple other books like that, which is um, sort of taking a, um, a critical stance against the male genius artist who um, abuses women or abuses his power in some way, right? And we've had so much of that for now 10 years and we've had this almost exclusively coming out of the feminist space so you do begin to to think do women even like art because the way that they talk about it as you know burning down the patriarchy burning down the past or whatever it's like i don't know that that's a useful position to take when you're trying to be a creator, right? Like you can't create from a wholly um, egotistical place. There's a tradition, there's a history, not all of it is great, obviously, um, but you can't just just decide, well, I'm, 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 I'm not going to pay, pay attention to the masters because they're complicated. I'm not going to, um, you know, you can't carve that space out of yourself. Like it's in, it's in the history of everything. So to sort of make a pretense of purity um, and to, to sort of sneer and um, criticize rather than get involved and participate and, and try to make some contribution, um, I think is, I think is, is pretty, I think it's a pretty shitty way to look at what you have decided to call your life's work. Like if you're just going to shit on other writers, male, right. Just because they're men, just because, you know, something happened. Um, like what are you, what are you contributing other than just your sneer and your arrogance? Like this is not useful to us. And it, it seems like so many women writers and artists and, musicians and everything have gotten stuck in this space of like condemnation and critique. Um, and it's boring. It's so boring. I don't know if you guys read the Claire Detterer book. Did you guys read the Claire Detterer book? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm over halfway. And um, I got to tell you, Jesse, it's 
it's tough. It's a tough read. It is tough. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. And I'm and, and I'm not talking about the prose. Like it's um, <laughs> it's, it is written like a blog post. It's it's in these short fragments. Um, I I got so much to say. Firstly, I want to say that I'm I'm in awe and I admire anyone who's written a book. Um, I paid for this book and let's get that out of the way because I don't want to just make it a a slam session. Although I do want to slam this book. Like like this is yeah. this is staggering i mean i got to get your ideas so i mean what did you make of her list of targets so it, it appears to be woody allen gets a, a, a chapter mm-hmm. roman polanski i think she gets she does dip into michael jackson a little bit at the beginning picasso uh, wagner she throws in jk rowling as a, as a bonus i think yeah. which I mean, yeah. what, this is an this is an eclectic bunch don't you think well i think um I think probably some of those were pressed upon her by an editor of some kind to be like, this is getting repetitive because you can tell who she cares about and who she doesn't care about because the chapters about Woody Allen, Polanski, Cosby, and so on are um, very passionate and detailed. And Wagner, you know, no, she's, she, I don't think she, she doesn't even make it clear that she's ever listened, that she's ever seen a Wagner opera or listened to his music at all. So she has this sort of investment in, um, in certain figures because they have harmed people that l- resemble her in that they are women. And so she wants to think about violence against women, but she wants to think about, you know, she wants to pretend to think about, be thinking about evil in a general way, um, but her heart's not, and brain, <laughs> sorry, uh, isn't in it. And uh, and so those sections that aren't about violence against women are really lacking. I also want to make it clear that the, the sections about violence against women are also not great, um, but at least there's some engagement with the, issues um i guess we should just like do before people who haven't read it just say it's like a collection of essays about artists who have done bad things essentially um yeah that's but it's it. a fascinating topic that we're all we're all, all three of us are interested in is and because it's it's a, what, what an interesting philosophical problem probably as old as as you know uh as well, as the hills, but in that, how, how do we process the the work? Often, the great work. We don't care if they've done shitty work. The great work of bad people, or people who've done bad actions, or and and there's so many interesting philosophical uh, quandaries and possibilities there, and that are so interesting for us as humans. And it and and to me, uh, this came across as as really fingernail deep analysis it, firstly it, it, i don't know what you think it was it, it had a decided lack of rigor it was like the opposite mm. of norman finkelstein you know yeah, yeah. in fact yeah. we need norman finkelstein to, to, to cover this topic actually he wouldn't care about it <laughs> oh he, poor, don't don't bother him <laughs> he wouldn't care he'd say he'd say he'd say let's cut the shit <laughs> let's get serious like you know he would say forget this crap but but um you know, I also found. I mean, what did you think of of her? Uh, firstly, she she brought in her biographical um, uh, details about her own life, but then trying to to attach the the moment, the, the this sort of pussy hat Harvey Weinstein Me Too yeah. moment, Trump, like Trump, Trump. gets yeah, she mentioned Trump. But this book seemed also like she'd been in a bomb shelter since 2017. As well, yeah. like nothing had happened since then because no one in her life read this and said, "Hey, this seems like." Because even the Guardian jumped off her. I read an article, seriously, a review by the Guardian where they were, like, and I was like, "Wow!" When the Guardian run out on you on something like this, <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, this is you know, as you say, it is a subject as old as the hills. And I think that's what is so frustrating about the book and why it sort of fits into this idea of having only a sneer to contribute to the thing that you say you're devoted to is that she didn't do any work. Like she, you know, she says specifically in the book, I can't think of anyone who's written on this subject. I was like, I mean, you, you she's writing about Wagner. How many 
fucking books have been written about Wagner's anti-Semitism? How many, how many fucking PhD dissertation, you know, just an absolute library has been written about Wagner, about Eliot, about Pound and her inability to take any of that seriously is really kind of staggering to me as a writer. It's just like, why are you, if you're not up for this, why are you doing Like, if you're not up for it, if you're not going to wade in to this messy topic, like really prepared and um, really invigorated, then why are you doing it? Because it's just so lazy and also really such an insult to the people who have thought about this for centuries now. It's so weird. It's such a weird um, uh, approach to take in, in what's supposed to be a, an intellectual work, right? What, what do you think the actual motivations are? You know, I mean, this is speculation, but, you know, there, there, there are, you know, this is sort of like a trend, a, a sort of a mode of... Uh, modern criticism that 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 focuses on artists' life transgressions rather than the art itself. You know, I mean, do, do you have any idea of what what the ultimate motivation is for someone like this? I mean, is it to elevate her own art? Is it to get her own book deal? Is it to try and push down the like the supposed genius of some artists so that you know someone like her might might then you know enter into that genius status somehow? You know. Yeah, I mean, for her, I'm assuming it's the book deal. Um, I think, you know, for the people who have worked in this area for a long time, um, it is how do I make space or how does anybody make space for themselves um, in a, 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 an, a field of art or, um, you know, whatever your profession is that is against us, that is not... Um, used to accommodating us that is hostile and violent to us etc like a woman artist has to go into a space that is actively trying to push her out and i think that's been true up until you know a couple you know a decade ago really right four centuries millennia up until about a decade ago um if you sort of try to make claim claim a space in this realm um you got the shit kicked out of you um and it didn't want you there and you know etc so people have been thinking and not just women but obviously people of different races and sexualities and everything else have been thinking about how how do i fit into this and do i and that's important work right and some of that is why is certain behavior allowed and other behavior is not allowed oh because because it's convenient to the powers that be if the if the genius you know helps push the woman out by punching her in the face or raping her or whatever like that's just part of the ecosystem that doesn't want women in it right so i i respect absolutely everybody who's had to try to figure that out for themselves except for when um, they've done it in a state of self-aggrandizement. I'm not saying that, right? We're, whatever, it's late here. Um, or in a state of like um, uh, publicity, right? And, and sneering. I think there is a time to be in an activist mode and to scream and shout and exaggerate when no one is paying attention to you. If nobody is acknowledging that rape and violence is going on, it is perfectly acceptable to scream your fucking head off about it, right? But once people are looking at you, you have to pivot. You have to take a different tone because otherwise it's counterproductive. You can't be activist in a space that is actually including you in the in the same way, right? So, I think this book is dumb. I think it's not. Um, I think she she does you know whatever. I'm not going to speculate on who she whatever, whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to like keep keep the, the inside things in inside. Um, <laughs> But I do think there's still a need for some of these conversations uh, to be to be happening, and that's why I get angry when the space that that is ready for that conversation is filled with something like this. 
that doesn't take it seriously um, and is really just trying to make a, a scene for themselves. Now, now I, I haven't read the book and John has shared a lot of quotes with me uh, over the past couple of weeks. So I sort of have mm. a sense of it, you know, and uh, it just seems so, um, like John said, it's the opposite of Norman Finkelstein. Like it doesn't seem very academically rigorous, you know, and she, and she no. hasn't picked a, a particular time period or a particular, uh, you know, sort of uh, school of art or something like that. It's just this scattergun approach to sort of, you know, just picked seem seem seemingly at random. You know, these like, these, like these Woody Allen, uh, uh, Bill Cosby, uh, Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> and Wagner, and stuff. And you just yeah. go, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're all sort of different guys at different times and different causes and conditions. And you know, they might have a little bit in common, I guess. And she and she doesn't try to contextualize it in the time at all, right? She doesn't try to say, um, you know, Caravaggio what it was like well. for Va Right, right. She doesn't talk about what it was like for, for him or any of these people. It's just, she's responding to it as if, not just that it happened today, but as if it happened to her. And so she gets to be, she has sort of selected herself to be the arbiter of, um, whether this is a good person or a bad person and she the language that she used like she's constantly th saying things like you know i i took this rape very personally i was like but isn't that inappropriate it's inappropriate to decide and in one of the cases you know she she um talks about david bowie sleeping with a teenager and the teenager herself has said um i had a great time I don't know why everyone's like having like why why is everyone freaking out about this? But uh Claire has decided that she gets to be the person who declares that rape, right? She gets to put it in the written record that this woman was raped. Despite despite what the woman's own experience is, Claire's is the one that's publishing a book from a major press that is putting in the written record that David Bowie was a rapist. And to, that's so inappropriate. And there doesn't seem to be a moment of humility in any part of the book where she reflects on, is this something I should be doing? Like, do I, should I be the one to say these things? She really doesn't. She just barrels through and is like, you know, because I had a good relationship with my stepfather than Woody Allen's relationship with Sun Yi is like even worse now. And it's just like, ugh, why do you think, why, why, why do you think you get to decide? It's so arrogant. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, and she, she seems so certain of these, of these. Oh yeah. She's well. like, very certain. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think the, we, we might be a little less harsh on the book if, if she did have, if, if you, she did doubt herself throughout the book, you know, because mm. it is, it is a tricky topic, you know. What what do we make of you know the artwork of people who have had monstrous personal lives? You know, I mean that that is an interesting question, and yeah. unfortunately, you know she's she's taken it in a pretty dumb direction. Now, John, you, you need to ask about Woody Allen. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now, <laughs> Jessica, look, I'm not. I know that Woody Allen's not for everyone. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. he, he is for me, and like, mm -hmm. there's a couple of things. So, I mean, firstly, I'd like. To, you know, to get your thoughts on her quote, she says, I took the fucking of Soon Yi as a terrible betrayal of me personally. Yeah. Um, I particularly like the 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 use of the word fucking here. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's, it sounds like a, to me like a great album name, the fucking of Soon Yi. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> did you take it personally? Uh, when Woody Allen fucks Soon Yi? Um <laughs> <laughs> um no i don't i don't really remember i don't really remember that as a cultural event that was important to me as a teenager like um i wasn't i never i had boyfriends that were, were like we're watching we're watching this woody allen film and then you're just like great um, but I, I personally only really like two of his movies and the rest I'm like, uh, um, Which two? May I ask? uh, Annie Hall and, uh, mm -hmm. Bullets Over Broadway. I'm very basic. Um, Great film. but, uh, Great film. oh yeah, they're good. Um, 
but it wasn't somebody that I that I cared about. And also I just didn't feel like it was anything worse than what any woman has experienced. <laughs> like being physically embodied in the 21st century, like, or the, I guess it happened in the 20th, but you know what I mean? Like it, there are, we have other, we have other things to worry about than the sex life of Woody Allen. I would hope, right? Like, can we maybe, you know, like nudge our, nudge our eyes in a different direction and maybe well, think what do about you something think about the idea that, that in this space, there is like with all the people we've mentioned, they're all their cases are, wildly different you know in terms of mm-hmm. um intensity you know whether they literally broke the law or not or right. whether it was just morally repugnant or whether uh you know it was a bad look or or, or right. you know, whether yeah yeah or, or whether or whether it's or criminal yeah or criminal or, or whether it's um she doesn't mention the fact that these are all like entertainers hollywood i mean you had a great quote in our in our last discussion you said that art used to be a place for you know, um, people who weren't good at life uh, to mm-hmm. go, and and so that understanding is not taken into it. Like like uh, Woody Allen is, um, you know, his case is quite interesting. It's it's a few things because the reason I'm going on about it is because I do love his work. And recently, I, I brought it up. To, I was at a talk, and it was all going smashingly. And then I brought up they said people said, "Oh, name something about yourself that you know people wouldn't know." And I said, "Well, I." I I, I really, it was a private thing. I said, I like Woody Allen and I think that Mia Farrow is a liar and I think that um, Ronan Farrow <laughs> I think that, that is a grifter and, um, and that, that Dylan was groomed by the mother. How did that go? It did not go well. And people like, but, 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 it's, but then it was the usual grab bag of stuff. So people go, well, you know, yeah, he, he was a, he's a pedophile, uh, you know, he, he did all these kids and then they go to that. It's the, the whole suite. They say, um, you know, soon ye, and then it's the final one is always like, and just check out Manhattan. It's all there. It's all there. He's with a young chick in that. It's all sewn up, mate. Like there it is. He's always with, he's always with young chicks. Like he was telling us like any good dictator telling us what he wanted to do. And then he did it, you know, and you just go, all right, it's a lot, it's a lot going on there. Um, so I don't know. I find that that particular case is emblematic of of the kind of conflation of of, of everything. Like everyone just gets yeah. a ball of of horror. Well, I just remembered there's a third film that I like, uh, which is Hannah and Her Sisters. I think is I think is really great. But uh, to to sort of. I think I think ultimately my problem with this book and with discussions of this nature of like is this person a good person or a bad person and you know what should happen to them you know should they be banished from polite society etc cetera, etc cetera. is it ultimately you know what we're what we're talking about is a societal problem we have a society that has historically um punished and brutalized and etc women right and so people within this society because it's seen as being sort of natural and normal and and an okay thing to do um participate in that and for whatever reason we've decided to fix this by just going after each individual who uh is really just sort of acting out a societal problem um And that doesn't mean I don't think that people who um, actually commit active acts of violence uh, should be uh, arrested and go through the judicial system and et cetera. But Claire Detterer's book is essentially saying, you know, the power is within the individual consumer to decide. (laughs) How useful is that, right? It's, she's talking about without ever mentioning it directly, that this is a problem with basically um, the entire power structure of the world for the history of the written, you know, um, civilization. This has been a problem in various levels and, and intensities. And what we should do is just boycott the ones that are bad now. Like, it's so infuriating and so diminishing and so ineffective (laughs) that i don't i don't i i honestly don't know why 
people want to hear that message of just like, yeah, just ignore it. Just like, don't watch those movies and, you know, don't, don't give money to these particular people and just bring it up at every moment possible that this person is a bad person and the world will magically get better. Like that, that that's not how the shit works, bitch. But don't you think also it's, it's, it, it's such a, a, a disappointing, uh, uh, misunderstanding of how complex of the, of the, of the wonderful complexity of, of humans, like we are capable of it all. And, um, and this, this woman seems, it, cause she's just representative of a train of thought out there that believe that has bla- this sort of black and white view of things. And I'm like, well, that's why I like Michael Haneke movies where like the piano teacher, where she'll just, you know, the, she teaches piano in this movie and like her, uh, there's a really great oh, student. Oh, I, I, I know the, I know the piano teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know you do. I'm explaining to the, to the listener who might not know, they should watch it, but there's a great scene where, where she smashes up glass and just puts it in like this brilliant student's pocket, you know, yeah. and, and then, and, and, and this, this, this character, you know, not spoiler alert is not punished at all. In fact, triumphs. And we feel good about her triumph at the end of her, in, in a way, I do, certainly. Do and, we? She stabs um, herself in the chest, man. Like, I don't know if we feel great about her triumph. <laughs> well, if she gets away from her, her mum and stuff, like, like, well, well, we could argue about feeling great about it. Great's the wrong word. But I feel, um, yeah. there's, if we're talking about positive and negative charges, at the end, I'm not, I'm not all in the negative, uh, just saying, well, you know, uh, crime doesn't pay. You know, like at, like, like at the end, it's a bit more complex than that, you know? And so sure, yeah. when we break it down like this, like, don't you want to be in a situation where, like, we want this, this is, we're going to sound like pigs saying this, but I want to read the book where the person, like, outlines all of the horrible things that, the, that someone did and then says, and, and I love him anyway. Or like, and I, and, or part of me loves it. And you just go, oh yes. And you just go, yes, I know. It's like that quote from Peter Sellers. He says, I look around the room and I see the woman who's like the most poisonous for me. And then I go after her, you know, and you go, (laughs) yes, get it. I get it. Very human. Yeah. I, I think that we are always going to, as long as we're in this mode of like focused on the individual and determining if they're bad or good, right? We're always going to be um, resistant to any sort of complexity. And the artwork is gonna be dumb and shallow and silly and all the rest of it because it doesn't get at the heart of why people are fucked up. And there are a lot of reasons why people are fucked up. You know, I've been reading a lot of uh norman mailer the last couple of years and you almost i have come to see him as an object of pity because i think a lot of his work is brilliant and absolutely absolutely is like worth still reading, preserving, talking about, thinking about, et cetera. But there are moments when his racism and when his misogyny like is on the page in a really ugly, stupid way. Like it makes him stupid that he can't sort of see around this obvious block that he has with just refusing to see certain people as fully human. He's just like, no, and it's, he's blind to it and, and he never sort of gets it in, in the history of, um, of his work. And so you kind of feel bad for him that he was sort of carrying around um, this darkness and that there was just part of his intellect that couldn't, that just wa- wasn't capable of getting into it and around it. Like, cause it really damages a lot of, um, a lot of the material that he's working with is, and you're just like, Oh, this poor dumb guy. Like, yeah, it's, you know, the problem of him stabbing his wife and almost killing her is a, is n- that's not an artistic problem. That's, that's a criminal problem. Right. And I think because for so long, um, Norman Mailer's biographies and the work about him was very willing to just overlook that this ever happened. Or in some cases, you know, they blamed his wife um, for the incident, saying, oh, she shouldn't have been nagging him, whatever. Fuck you. Um, 
you know, because of that, it's, it's reasonable to scream about, you know, he stabbed his fucking wife and almost killed her. But once it's incorporated into the biography, once everybody knows about it, like once you can start to see it in the work and, and engage with it in that level, that's interesting, but you have to stop fucking screaming about it. Like there are other ways to talk about this and engage with the, with what he's doing and just sort of like yelling, he stabbed his wife is not, it's not adding anything to the intellectual conversation. I think of a couple of things like, shouldn't we be trying to create, as I think you've already just kind of said it, but shouldn't we tr be trying to create a new piece of work that is befitting of this complex idea? So for example, an exa one of the people she goes after, Claire, Claire Dieter goes after in a book, I think she mentions William Burroughs, who did a similar sort of yeah. mad thing with his wife. Now, you know, rather than going on about about the making it a court case where we just read out like, you know, who did what to who, why don't you do what Cronenberg, a real artist, did in The Naked Lunch and incorporate that into the man's right. work, yeah. put it in the yeah. story and have and have these indelible scenes, get Judy Davis to play the scene, she puts the apple on her head or whatever and it's weird and upsetting and 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 it's this new thing, you know, it's not, it's not, and, and we're confused and we're in the cafe afterwards talking about like what does it even mean? It's dazzling like the way it goes in on itself about the author and, you know, this being incorporated into his work and Cronenberg's role in that, it becomes this dizzying thing because you don't know, it's not just Cronenberg waggling the finger saying oh, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done that naughty thing to his wife. And you go, yeah. 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 No, it's really, I think it's laziness as part of it is just like, um, I think as much as, you know, Norman Mailer had a block about how he thought about women, I think a lot of writers have this block about how you think about men, right? A lot of women writers do because, you know, part of the process of like becoming uh, political about the way, you know, the treatment of women and the political um, position of women or whatever is um, it's upsetting, right? It is upsetting to hold this information in your head about, um, people that you love, including, you know, not just writers, but people in your life, you know, uh, have participated in this and have done terrible things. And, you know, uh, I'm only alive because my great grandmother survived the attempt on her life that my great grandfather made on her. Right. Like that's, the only, you know, if, if he had succeeded, um, uh, I, I would not exist. So, um, it's something that's in all of our histories and it's upsetting and it creates this big knot in your brain, but it is your job if you're a writer or an intellectual in any way to try to engage with it and come up with something other than, you know, a, a shouty slogan or, um, you know, like a, a, a book of essays that ultimately doesn't say anything about the subject in which you've, you know, taken on. So it's frustrating to me because the stakes of this are high um, and it's an important subject and it's a conversation that we need to be having on a lot of different levels, um, not just about women, but because it's sort of like stuck in this one place of just sort of shouting about it, um, nothing progressives, nothing improves. Women use this as a way of dehumanizing other people as well. A lot of, you know, feminists that are sort of stuck in this mode then go on to dehumanize trans women or uh, immigrants because they're, you know, protect our borders because the rapists are coming in and, you know, all this sort of other rhetoric that comes out of this sort of um, fixation on uh, women's safety and, and, and so on. It's just so, it's a problem that we haven't, that we haven't moved on, that we haven't have been able to have a real conversation about this. Yeah, when, when I read uh, critiques like this, you know, it, it, it almost makes you think that bad male behavior is only exclusive to the art world, you know, whereas it's, it's right, yeah. everywhere, you know. Yeah. And I think, I don't think this particular book uh, recognizes that in any way. And it also doesn't recognize, 
your idea that that the art world is a place where misfits and people who are not good at life used to used to gravitate towards you know um sort of on a similar topic uh, i'd like to get your take on on a heather mcdonald quote that i've heard her say and i'm not sure if it's it's hers or whether she's just sort of uh, restating it but uh it's about genius and she said that the reason there's no female mozart is the same reason we don't have a female jack the ripper and throughout history we've we've you know uh, we've had men that are so obsessed by their art that they're willing to literally throw their lives away, like neglect their health, neglect their families, or or have no families at all, all in pursuit of their art. I mean, do you think there's something in that parallel? Um, I think I think there are a lot of reasons why we haven't had a female Mozart. Um, I mean, if you want to sort of like go back to the Linda Nochlin essay, um, why have there been no great women artists? You know, part of it is just it, you, you need access to material resources um, in order to become an artist. Um, now we have that. We have access, you know, women can get educated, they can get hired, et cetera, within art institutions. But now we don't have we don't have a culture that takes art seriously in the way that they did uh, in Mozart's era, right? We don't have um, kings who have, you know, their little pet composers who are, you know, on staff and, and et cetera. Like we just don't have a culture that really prizes uh, good art at the moment. And so um, that's a hindrance as well. I think that there have been um, women writers, artists, et cetera, throughout time who do have a crazed devotion to their work. Um, but it takes, it takes more than that. Um, it takes, uh, again, material resources. It takes, um, a sort of recognition by the culture at large that what you're doing is worthwhile and you shouldn't go drown yourself in the river, <laughs> you know? Um, like it, 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 there are a lot of elements at play into what sort of creates a moment of artistic flourishing. We don't in our culture right now have a lot of those things. Um, we just by large, just don't have a populace that gives a shit about great music anymore. Mm. Well, how do you think we, we, we can elevate the status of art again so that, that, that we may have a female Mozart? Um, I am insanely writing an essay on this very subject. Um, but, you know, like what uh, sort of trying to track down why we're in a, a sort of cultural dead zone right now. Um, and I think we need to get the people uh, with um, college degrees the fuck out of art, right? We have to, <laughs> I think that that's the absolutely top priority is get those motherfuckers who could be, who could work in finance, get them into finance, get them out of art. I don't want to see any more art by good little students who really enjoyed their time at Harvard. Like I'm so over it. Well-behaved art by well-behaved people. Fuck all of them. I'm just, no, out, 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 out. <laughs> Jess, it's interesting you say that. I think I've mentioned it a few times in this podcast that that you know several several decades ago, if you were an artist or or an actor or a, a musician or a filmmaker, you didn't go to college to learn those things. Whereas right. all of those disciplines now, uh, you get funneled through the university system. I mean, I kind of crave to see those actors again, like like are featured in the the Carry On films that come from a working class background. You know, I mean. Where, where are the working class actors? Where are the working class artists, painters, musicians? I mean, I, I, I couldn't think of any off the top of my head. They're fucking dead from opioid addiction, right? I mean, there, we don't have, we don't, we don't have anything that would allow us to even see the work of people who would just one generation ago have been, or not one, like two, two generations ago, three generations ago, um, the prime uh, artist demographic, right? We don't in any way allow them to even think for a moment that this world wants them in it. Like, it's, it's so disgusting to me. 
And I find it very upsetting (laughs) because, um, you know, I mean, I was sort of raised in a family that, you know, didn't give a shit about art, like never read fiction, you know, only saw movies if it had a happy ending or was about the civil war. <laughs> like, um, and so I had, you know, I really had to fight to, you know, the first time I went to, you know, an art museum was when I was 19. So I really had to sort of fight to create a space for myself. And I had to fight like the disinterest of my surroundings, which is, you know, sort of a farm community. I really didn't think that once I got out of there, I was going to have to fight all the fuckers with advanced degrees as well. So um, there's that. <laughs> but interestingly, Jetta, like the, 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 the rot is, is significant because now, particularly after uh, 2016 and like in my life right now, there was a time when we all we used to talk about was movies and books. Like when mm-hmm. I say movies, cinema and books and yeah. and 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 good art, you know. And um, now all we talk about is politics. And all the people I know, all um, this is everyone I associate with every day. All we do is talk about um, politics, and and it's killing me. It is yeah. just killing me inside. Like yeah. there is no. Uh, there's not enough discussion of great works of art and and just the blank looks I get when I bring up a piece of art, like like a really great artist or whatever, the people just go, yeah, any, anyway, anyway, about the 2024 presidential run. And you just go, yeah. what the fuck Or are we what does this about? movie say about, you know, the politics of et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, everything, everything including art, has to be understood in that context, yeah. I, I know some people who, if you bring up anyone, they'll just say, like you would just mention, oh, yeah, I want to hold her hand by the Beatles, and they'll go, anyway, you know, um, one of those guys, like, beat his wife or something. And you go, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's, yeah. a, again, conversation killer. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I said this last time, you know, um, people don't like to think and thinking is is difficult and stressful. And so um, people find ways of not thinking and they find excuses to not think about something. And, you know, saying that this et cetera, et cetera, you know, whatever movie writer, whatever has bad politics is just a way of not, I don't have to think about this. And so like, I, I can just sort of remove it from my mind and that's it. Like that's, that's kind of the key to all of it is just, that's the person who's just not thinking. And so then you don't have to think about them because you know, that's it. Like, <laughs> well, Jess, we want to give you the final word. Uh, so we talked about some interesting stuff today. Uh, I, I think way more interesting than than the book about the subject. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but you, you know, how do you keep the dream alive? You know, how do you keep the the pulse, the flame going in in the face of all this uh, this horror? In terms of, of of art and expression, because this is the only stuff that matters to me. Like you know, um, this is to me it when i you know when i when i go to the opera house and i'm you know you you go use the basement uh restroom and you can hear uh the orchestra on the other side tuning their instruments like i feel magic this is the only thing that matters to me i'm not saying it's the only thing that matters (laughs) but it's the only thing that matters to me so personally I am going to continue to to stomp my feet about it and write about it and devote myself to it because to me, it's the most possibly rewarding thing ever is just to, you know, uh, surrender myself to the experience on a stage um, as long as uh, it's worth it, right? Like not everyone's giving back. Not everyone who takes the stage is giving back to the audience, but when it's reciprocated and, you know, then, then it's the best thing that you can possibly feel for me. Um, and that's it. So that's, 
I'll go see, you know, even if the world is ending, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll go see a Verdi in the opera house and, you know, Backwards. die there. It's fine. <laughs> Backwards, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I would start throwing my shoes. It's like, this is the last <laughs> shit I'm going to see before the world ends. Better do it fucking in the right way. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, well, before the world ends, how can people follow you? Are you on social media? Oh, I'm kind of off. Well, you know, Twitter, Twitter's, Twitter's burning. Um, it's X now, uh, but I am at the at the Substack, the culture we deserve, um, all one word. dot uh, dot com, and that's that's the general place right now. Yes, I wonder why you were so happy because you're not on social media much, and that I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm actually yeah. jealous. You should you should get off of there. It's not good for you. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show, uh, Jessa. Oh, of course. Anytime. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Jessa. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.